Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 121, listener feedback number seven, recorded November 24th, 2013, and brought to you by Element OP Productions. Element OP. Com. That's right, folks. Everyday Linux, the Linux show that isn't about Linux, but about life in the context of Linux. And it's been a while since we did a, uh, a listener feedback show, uh, but we had so much and uh, uh, building up that it was time to do another one. So here we are, the seventh installment of you of your feedback and only your feedback. Well, your feedback and our responses to it. And, of course, the hour that I'm referring to. Uh, alongside me are uh, Chris Neves, the command line godfather. Hey, Chris. Hello, everyone, and welcome everyone who is a beard or non-beard. <laughs> you are all welcome here. And, of course, alongside him is Seth, the gooey kid Anderson. Hey, Seth. Hello, Mark, and welcome to the faithful Element OPI tour braving the climactic weather in Texas for this broadcast. Yay, team. And as suggested by uh, a, uh, somebody in one of our forums, I'm trying it out. My name is Mark, the maestro of the madness. Eh, it's got potential. <laughs> I like it. It's got potential. I like it. We may have to, we have, we may have to look at that one. But we have a couple of other things in the show notes. The, the fact Wait, that so I don't... it's Mark, mom. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, that's, I could get a tattoo with mom on my arm. It would be awesome. <laughs> um, we've the, the fact that I don't have a name is is really vexing our audience. Uh, we've had a great deal of feedback about that. It's become a meme among the Element OP faithful. <laughs> so, uh, so it'll be interesting to uh, to see what happens. But we have a couple of things about that. But before. Let me address the elephant in the digital room. Yes, we missed a show. No, your feed uh, podcast catcher app of choice did not malfunction. No, I didn't make a mistake. We just didn't do a show. Had something come up uh, in the late uh, hour last week. Uh, Chris and Seth were unable to um, reschedule. We, we didn't have an ad for that show, so that gave us a little more freedom. So we just said, ah, we'll skip it. It's 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 time to slack off. It's it's the holiday season, quote unquote. Uh, and well, so, it's become a tradition of everyday Linux to kind of uh, to slack, slack off, off around the holidays. Right. So we're just we're being true to ourselves, people. This is what you want, right? We've yeah, actually come on now. we've actually been really good about not missing shows. We're this is has been a re really. I mean, even when I took uh, three months off to to move across country, you guys kept going. Uh, so we take we take not missing shows seriously, but uh, you know, sometimes we just got to recharge, and and around this holiday season is a good time to do that. So just just be prepared. Uh, we may miss a couple of more before the end of the year's out. Uh, it's not pod fade. It's just taking the opportunity to to downcycle when we can, so that we're ready to go um, and ready to uh, to rock and roll when we do come back. So there we go. That's just right. To address that. <clears throat> and number number two on the list. Um, it is, in fact, Thanksgiving. The, the when you are listening to this, most likely, uh, it is the day before Thanksgiving here in the U.S. You Canadians have already had your Thanksgiving, uh, but go ahead and have some turkey on us. Um, and yeah, and we just won't mind. Enjoy another Thanksgiving, uh, but it's. Uh, it's that time of year where we get together and uh, we give thanks for all that we uh, the, all that we have, our friends and our family, uh, and then we spend about nine seconds doing that, and the rest of the day is all about food and football. 
Food and football. Yep. And it's when you're great. Are you, guys, are, you, are you guys having a big foot, a big football day with your Thanksgiving, or is it more big Thanksgiving dinner and kind of some football? Well, we, uh, you know, being from Dallas, uh, the Cowboys uh, are are a staple every week. But you know, the, the the Cowboys have become a staple on Thanksgiving Day for most of the country. Uh, way back in the when was this? That late sixties, early seventies, when they decided to do a Thanksgiving Day, nobody wanted it. And the and the Cowboys and the Lions stepped up and said, "Fine, we'll take the bullet. We'll do that." And nobody was watching back then. It wasn't a big deal. And now it's this big multi-million dollar thing. And and they've been trying to take it away from the Cowboys and the Lions and spread it around a little bit. Um, but there's been some some blowback about that. So it's still Cowboys play on Thanksgiving. The Lions play on Thanksgiving. But now they've added a third game in the evening. And uh, there may be even some regional games. I'm not sure that. But uh, they're trying to expand that as much as possible. But for me. Thanksgiving is about food and the Cowboys. Well, I'll yep. take the food, but you can keep the Cowboys. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, the way they've been playing this year, I, I'll take that. I'll take that trade. Um, <laughs> but speaking of... I, go ahead, yeah, I told everyone they lost last game. They're due to win. So That's true. And nobody believed me. Uh-huh. Well, okay. you know, they couldn't okay. lose last week because it was a bye week. And in fact, I actually right. told my wife that. I said, it's good. They can't lose. You can't lose to buy. Buy always loses. So, um, but they actually looked pretty sharp today against a, you know not a terrible team. Um, but they totally got schooled by the Saints. Just schooled in their last game. Yeah, they sure did. But anyway, enough about football. Let's talk about football. No, um, let's talk about <laughs> cooking because that's what you tune into this Linux show for is cooking. Right. We were talking before the show. Uh, my wife and all, and I have already begun our Thanksgiving uh, cooking. It is Sunday before Thanksgiving, the 24th. Uh, and we've already begun. We have a whole timetable. So this, this, we're nuts about this. This is how we do it every year. We start with, we want to have lunch at X. So today it's one o'clock, one o'clock Thursday yeah. is, is the big meal. Sometimes it's dinner, but but this time it's lunch. So lunch is at one, so you got to move everything back from there. Okay, so the birds need a good half hour to rest and then another half hour to carve, which means they've got to be done an hour. they got to be done at noon on Thursday. Okay, so right. one of them I'm frying. That's going to take two and a half to three hours, so I've got to move that out. Another one I'm smoking. That's going to need about ten hours, so I've got to move that back. So there's, there's, it's like it's D-Day. It's T-Day minus whatever. So, so T minus um, uh, ten hours is when I put the, the bird in the smoker. Uh, but before that, I have to brine it for at least 12 hours. So T minus 22 hours is when it has to go in the brine. <laughs> and we're just working everything back. Um, yes, I'm a geek. Yes, I'm obsessive compulsive. Get over it. <laughs> now, do you have to brine a bird before you smoke it? Or is it just that's the best way of doing it? I brine any, any white meat before I cook it. Uh, um, uh-huh. Pork or, or poultry uh, or... Those are the only two white meats I can think of. Uh, I always brine because you just you get moistness and you get flavor, uh, and it's totally worthwhile uh, to to take the time to do it. Some people don't think so, but if you've ever had like a, a Kenny Rogers roaster or a Boston Market chicken or those those really super succulent chickens that you just go, oh my gosh, that's amazing, they brine them, and that and that's why. Uh-huh. I might have to do that because we're doing a smoked turkey this year, so we're doing a. a it's a traditional one, and then we're doing so the other families doing a, 
a smoked one, and we're going to share all the turkeys. So, I see, I only have my very small family. So it's my five, uh, my sister-in-law who lives with us now, six, and my grand, my mother is coming in is is uh, seven. That's it. But oh. we're still having two turkeys just because I wanted one fried and one smoked. So <laughs> there's going to be tons of leftovers. And and when we go, went to the store, I told my wife, get like a couple, just like eight-pound turkeys. And we don't need big, just small turkeys. And so she went to the store, and the 14-pound turkeys were like $15 less for two of them than the eight-pound turkeys. I don't understand oh, that's weird. why that is. So we got two 15-pound birds, 30 pounds of meat for seven people. There's probably a bigger demand for those, yeah. so there's just a larger volume of them out there. Maybe that's what it I would be. Uh, that and and probably the the meat gets tougher as it gets bigger, older. Right. So you know it's the the younger. Or you, or your wife just wanted two really big turkeys and. And that's what she told me. Fib. That's entirely possible. That's that's entirely possible. <laughs> Uh, and of course, with the with the Thanksgiving, what you have uh, with it is is a regional thing. Being from the South, it's cornbread dressing, never a stuffing. You don't put anything in the carcass of that bird. You have a, a dressing on the side, baked in a casserole dish, and that something must be made out of cornbread. That's the Southern way. But you still call it stuffing, just so the Northerners don't think you're very weird. Well, no, at my house, it's dressing, D R A S I N, dressing. <laughs> And we we call it stuffing up here in the Great White North, but uh, we don't put it in the bird either. So yeah. it's just a terrible idea. It, it adds yeah. mass to an already giant bird, and by the time and and so you've got all right. Let's 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 just get into it. So let's get geeky. Um, in internal bird juices have to get up to like 161 minimum to be safe uh, from salmonella. Yep. So you're stuffing something inside that carcass, and all the drippings and, and the, where the guts used to be is touching your food. So you definitely want it up to be up to 161, but that's right in the middle of the bird. So by the time you get your middle of the bird to 161, your breast is like 185, and it's just dry as the Sahara Desert. Why do people do yeah. that? It's just it's a bad idea. It's the, in fact, in the oven with stuffing is the worst possible way to cook a bird. But it's also traditional. Growing up, I thought I didn't like turkey because I'd never had a good turkey. I didn't know what a good turkey was supposed to taste like. See? That's why you experiment and have fun with your food. (laughs) You know, there's something to be said for dry turkey. Yes. Get this away from me. That's what you say about dried turkey. People don't like dry stuff, but man, come on. Now, the cornbread stuffing, the dressing, it can be dry. Because that's what gravy's for, and 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 that's okay. Doesn't bother me as much. I, in fact, I don't like it when I go and there's like this really soupy dressing. That's yeah, that's no fun. Okay, it makes your tongue weird. <laughs> uh, any other cooking stories? Should we talk about brining? Anybody out there? No crickets. Nobody cares about brining. Okay. No, I play <laughs> the crock pot some stuff uh, to supplement the family. Thanksgiving gathering. Uh, I don't go. know what I'm going to crock pot yet. Whatever I recipe I can find and buy the ingredients on Wednesday night will be my crock pot contribution. You know, I might have something for you. Let me think on it a minute. I have a recipe for. Uh, do you need like? Is it like a main dish or a dessert? No, I'm just. Uh, it, I saw this one that was. Um, it was like a chicken kind of 
chicken potato lasagna thing. Uh, and th there's several crockpot dishes that I love to make, and people like them when I make them. So it's just a matter of whichever one. I I've got them. I've got like bookmarks. Uh, I have this okay. whole subfolder on my X marks recipes that um, I find, and then I, I pull them up in the store. You know, on my uh, on my mm. smartphone, who company I hate, but it's provided by work, so I use it a lot. <laughs> um, <laughs> You know, and I just go through, okay, I need this, I need this, I need this. And a couple of times I realize, oh, oh wait, I need to change the ingredients here. So sometimes I'll just go and go, hey, this one looks interesting. I'll try it. And, you know, the worst that can happen is it turns out awful and I feed it to the animals. So, <laughs> yeah, I've been, I've had a couple of crock pot accidents like that. So. All right. So moving on from 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 cooking, uh, let's talk about uh, just something that I thought was interesting. Um, every now and then, I do a search for uh, everydaylinux.com just to see if it's re been released. Somebody owns it. Nobody's using it. It doesn't resolve to anything. But I just thought it'd be nice to have the URL for this website. And it, mm -hmm. it made me laugh because I went to GoDaddy, my registrar of, ch of choice. Advertise on the show, GoDaddy. I talk about you all the time. Um, and and so I typed in everydaylinux.com and it popped up and said that domain is owned. Here are some other suggestions. And the one that made me laugh out loud was everydaygnulinux.com. <laughs> and That's I thought, nice. I need to register that just for the irony of it. Everydaygnulinux.com. And yep, link it should. to your rant. <laughs> that would be awesome. I might pay for the registration fee, actually, if you do that. <laughs> Richard Stallman's an idiot every time somebody clicks on it. Of course, uh, you funny. can't put a slash in a in a URL because otherwise it would be everyday everyday GNU slash Linux with an X with an O because that's how he says it GNU slash Linux dot com. Right. Anyway, so that's all I have to say. What do you guys got going on this week? Oh, um, I I'll go next. I can't believe how I'm how bad I feel today. Um, I, I had to pull an old nighter last night for a client and I didn't make it out of, I didn't get done until 4am this morning and man, Oops. I'm wiped. I didn't, there was times where 4am was nothing and I'd get up and keep moving without a problem, but I'm just dead as a doorknob today. You guys feel like that when you, you pull an old nighter or do you guys, have you guys quit pulling all nighters? It's called getting older. Chris, and you're, you're still, no. You're still younger than I am, but but I can tell you, I used to, you know, yeah, two, three, four a.m. was not unusual. I mean, I, if I got in bed at one a.m., I would consider that an early, early night. Um, but now, man, I'm falling asleep at nine thirty. It's just it's the way it is. Of course, I'm also getting up at four thirty, so that has something to do with it. Uh, but, yeah, you know, it's just it's just called getting old, Chris. Sorry, no. it happens yep. to the best of us. No, I refuse that reality. <laughs> As yeah, I used to. Uh, I used to stay up late, and now, oh my gosh, I pay for it when I I can still stay up late, and I can still force myself through. But oh my gosh, it's mis like. But the day after, I'm like going home and going to sleep at like seven. So uh, I yeah, I can't quite do it the way I used to. It's weird. I, I just it drives me absolutely crazy. But I do have some good news about this week. Um, I know it's not the brand new Nexus 7, but I did get my grubby little fingers on a Nexus 7 from a 
new and used place here in town. Nice. And uh, with the case, one twenty-five. Oh that's wow! Good, good deal. Yeah. 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 And that's the first generation. That, well, it's last year's generation, right. which is so a great, great device. It's an awesome. Device. Oh yeah. Yeah, and it, it's running KitKat. It's not. I mean, the lady that owned it said she used it for twelve for three days and then put it on the shelf because she never. She just didn't use it. So it has it had like four apps downloaded and then the wallpaper was changed. Yeah. But since the battery is dead, I said, well, I'll just factory reset it when I get it home. And now I have a basically a brand new device with a nice case. I mean, the case alone is probably fifty bucks. You know, magnetic yeah, clip cool. and everything else. It's a nice case. So I I think I stole this for that from that poor lady. <laughs> yeah, as I mentioned, eight on the or sixteen gig. It's the thirty-two. Wow. Oh, 30. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I feel like I stole the thing from that poor lady, but uh, she didn't want it. You just confessed a robbery. <laughs> I don't know if you realize that. But Hey, she volunteered. She 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 took the check. As I've mentioned not on this show before, I have a Transformer, uh, the original, not the, not the new, but the original Transformer tablet, and I don't use it. And it, it, it bugs me that I have this awesome piece of, of equipment but it just doesn't fit a need in my life right now. Uh, my uh, my kids always ask to, and I don't I don't let them. I probably should, but I know what happens when they get their hands on tablets. So it sits unused, uh -huh. um, and it's uh -huh. it's kind of you know it's I'm protecting it from harm by not letting it be used. Um, yeah, I use it. I use that thing more than I use my laptop anymore. As long as we're no, bragging about new devices, I wasn't going to, but you brought it up. Tomorrow, going to. according to to the uh, UPS tracking information, my brand new Nexus Five phone will be in my grubby little hands, and I'm more excited about that than a geek should be. Uh, you know, we we <laughs> talked about it before. It's it's uh, you know it's such a, a bargain price for that hardware. Um, yeah, and I, was, I got the uh, the 32 gig black uh, after tax, and everything was 433 dollars, um, which my for I bought the Nexus One, the original uh, Google Nexus phone after the G One, um, and I paid almost seven hundred for that. And if you buy like a Samsung Galaxy S Four right now, off contract is almost eight hundred. So this is literally half price for really impressive hardware. So I'm super excited about it. And that that to be honest, that's why we may not do a show next week. It's not actually um, that it's the holidays and and we may not be, but I'm going to be playing with my phone. I told my, ah. my boss at work, I said, you know, I just, I feel the need to tell you that you're going to see a pronounced pro tro productivity drop next week. Uh, I'm just going to confess to that now because I'm going to be staring at this piece of glass in my hand the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully they, uh, they, they take it in stride and say, well, you've done so much the last couple of weeks. We, we, you can take a, a paid vacation. Yes, basically. because big corporations are known to do that sort of thing. You can hope. <laughs> you can hope. <laughs> It may not happen, but you can hope. Oh, Seth, do you have something about bad movies on sci-fi? Is this the alien tornado movie that you're going to talk about? No, oh, I, okay. I tried to. You know, we, we've carried on and on about Sharknado, and with great reason, because it is a great movie in that it's bad, and it takes itself so has a comedy. But anyway, you know, so now they're on this Ado Roll and uh, you know, they made ice tornadoes a few years ago, but stone nados, 
uh, is the most recent entry from sci-fi movies. And I'm, you know, it wasn't, it was just a load of crap. Um, it's just time that sucks the life (laughs) out of you. It wasn't bad. It wasn't, it was totally pointless and please sci-fi change your name back and stop this awful garbage that you've been putting out because this one was pathetic. You're right. Since the name change, since they went to S Y F Y, the quality has been, uh, markedly less. I would agree with that. Yeah, they like what I think somebody makes a list and says, what are the great classic science fiction movies and programs? And then, you know, they go out and they they troll forums and they make this list and then some intern marks it out and at the top right stuff never to see on this network and hands it off (laughs) Um, because they don't show anything good. It's all reality garbage and assorted junk that they make so just please sci-fi stop it i love i love your i I make a personal favorites you know thing with my uh because i don't want to go i don't want to see 48 different shopping channels when i'm going through the things as you've been on that list sci-fi but you're coming very close to losing your spot and i might just block you because you know i block certain networks that do nothing but spew garbage in the land and you're dangerously close so oh. and plus it's cold in texas everyone i don't know if you realize that but it's hovering right around freezing um so uh, we don't know if the world will be here tomorrow that's right <laughs> yeah when hell oh, freezes boo-boo. over when texas gets cold it's uh now it, people who aren't from texas often think of it as like the desert southwest that they see in the movies but most of the state can get pretty cold in the winter now granted it's only for a few days um and you know it's not really cold but i mean I, it could get down to the even in the negatives you know negative teens is not unheard of but unlike where chris lives it's for a day and then it's over. Yeah. Yeah. We, 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 last week we had two days of negative temperatures already. And now we hit a little warming spot. We're back up to above freezing. But I have a feeling in the next couple of weeks, it's going to drop back down to bone chill. And then, oh my God, how can we stand to live in such a cold place? Yeah. Little town north of where I used to live made the news this week when Willie Nelson's tour bus crashed on the ice on Interstate 30. And, uh, <laughs> injured two of his bandmates they had to cancel a couple of shows so that's that was the claim to fame for cumby texas um uh-huh. and so i'm watching the news report out of dallas and and they they said you know uh, uh somebody posted it on facebook is how I, I saw it but uh the news report said in and cumby texas uh willie nesson's tour bus uh crashed and cumby is between sulfur springs and greenville I'm th- did that really help anybody Saying Cumbie is between Sulphur Springs and Greenville. Did that help anybody? No. <laughs> Nobody in the world nope. knows. If you knew where Sulphur Springs was, you knew where Cumbie was already. That didn't help Pretty anybody. Much. Anyway, that just a little claim to fame. It gets cold in Texas and country stars crash. I, I don't. Yeah. And the thing that makes Texas harder in the winter than some of the northern states, at least for air travel, is, you know, like up there, Chris, where you live, it'll get down well below freezing and it will stay well below freezing. But in Texas, it'll get right around 
the freezing mark. And this happens in Dallas a lot. So Dallas will struggle with massive delays for, uh, you know, planes and airports because we're right at that freezing mark. Yeah. And so, you know, they're required by law to go through the de-icing process if there's certain humidity and a certain temperature. And everybody thinks, well, you know, that's just, that's Texas not knowing what to do in the cold. But no, it's because it's not cold enough to freeze and get below that icing threshold. So yeah, there's yeah. some, it, we'll finish up the everyday weather segment of our podcast and move on momentarily. Or it's worse, yeah, every every uh, uh, body who lives in a place that freezes is familiar with black ice. You know, it's it's really transparent oh, yeah. ice. It's it's where the ice melts and then refreezes. Well, in, like, in the conditions like Seth is talking about, that's what everything does. Every surface melts and then refreezes and melts and refreezes. So you get this layer of perfectly clear ice that's slicker and snot on a doorknob. And uh, that's why uh, nobody can do anything in the winter in Texas. Well, and yeah. you guys aren't used to it. You know, I mean, you guys go, you, you said it yourself, Mark, that you only get a couple of days of freezing. Right. Well, if you're not, if you're only getting a couple of days of freezing, you guys aren't really equipped to handle right. freezing. There are no so, snow chains. There's you know, there's no snow plows. They just don't exist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, and I understand that too, but it, it, it still makes me laugh when I see people say, oh my God, we have a dusting of snow and yeah. school's closed. And I look at the side and I go, Huh? I have seven inches, and it's still coming down, and my school is still open. Yeah, yeah. My my friend who lives in Denver is like, we had seven feet of snow yesterday, and the buses are running just fine. The kids are going to school. Suck it up, Texas. Yeah. You know, I was listening to Paul Harvey. I loved listening to Paul Harvey, and he was talking about how we Texans didn't know what to do and how to drive on snow because there was like a sixty car pile up like between Dallas and Austin on the interstate. And then later that day, I, there was like a 92 car pile up in Michigan. And I thought, you're right, Paul Harvey, we can only do 60 in that <laughs> weather. So, you know, but I, I never heard him say that. Uh, anyway, it's because, just weird, random stuff you remember from your childhood. Yes. That's because that doesn't make a good joke. People yes, dying in does. Michigan is a tragedy. People dying in Texas is comedy. I don't yeah, I don't know why. I, I didn't say people died. I just said they wrecked their cars. Yeah. I, I knew a, a truck, a, a wrecker driver in Texas. You know, like I said, it only happens a couple of days a year. He said he'll make his year on those couple of days. He will make really? $30,000 in, in, in those couple of days. Like, you know, $30,000 on this Tuesday and another $30,000 on that Friday. Um, just hauling people, you know, out of accidents. Because he'll run his whole crew 24 hours nonstop um, because there's that many accidents. And so he counts on those days. Oh, I'm sure. That's, I didn't, I, that's, wow. That's surprising me. I didn't realize it was that lucrative a business, I oh, guess. Yeah. Well, you know, you figure $120 or $200 or something like that, a pop. And he had a, you know, he had a crew. It was a large record service. It wasn't, uh, uh, just one guy in a truck. Uh, so he was able right. to dispatch, you know, a couple of dozen people at a time. So you're making $1,200 an hour when you do that. Yeah. Wow. And, more, and there's not a lot of people doing it when it gets like that. Right. So, you know, and it's not like a lot of people can store up for that kind of thing just because for the most part, you're wasting your inventory because uh, it, it's not enough for there to be a big market. So a couple of people who do it, they bank it. Um, yeah. Uh, wow. Interesting. All right. On to some tech news. We said we'd get to you eventually. Be patient. We'll get yeah, there. Once in a while. 
but we have a few things. As always, Seth has over-delivered. Um, but uh, opensource.com needs your help. They're taking a survey, and that's all I know. Go, <laughs> Seth. <laughs> yeah, well, there's, you know, and the link will be in our show notes, but go to it and participate in the survey and tell them what you like. Um, it actually closes on November 29th, so you got a few days even after we drop the show. Um, and, you know, it is opensource.com, and you can just search. I'm sure it'll be on their main page, the Floss 2013 survey. What programs do you like? What's the best? What's out there? It, this is one of those things, you know, if 10 people do it, it's not a big deal. But the more people that go to it, the better it is. And then, you know, whenever they report their findings, it, it just you get more press with more people doing your stuff. So, And, you know, and fun. without surveys like this, what would the open source community have to argue over? I mean, we need data so that we yeah. can argue. Yeah, I mean, otherwise, it's going to be Mir versus Wayland versus Xorg, um, you know, and let's argue about VLC versus um, whatever some other media player is. <laughs> Sorry. Nice try at a transition, but now VLC stands alone because one of its few competitors in the world, Winamp, get, calls it quits. So that means that if you want a media player now, there's only about oh, 957,000 choices. So, you know, yeah. the, this is this is going to be a big loss. Losing Winamp is a big deal. Well, it is for people that were, you know, in the early times of the Internet. Winamp was one of the best players on the market. Uh, it was I mean, the player were, for Windows for a long time. Yeah. And so to have it actually finally hang up the, the shoes and say we're done with it, that's 15 years of of Winamp that's no longer going to be whipping the llama, you know? <laughs> yeah, whipping you're welcome. I thought everyone would like that. You didn't. You don't get that, Seth? It, it was no. one of the uh, uh, default sounds when he started up llama. This guy in this big like movie theater voice, Winamp, we really kicked the llama's ass. I, I don't know why. Something like that. Yeah, it was something like that. Uh, we're you know whipping the llama since sixteen to, since nineteen ninety seven. Something about a llama would play periodically. I don't know why, but it made me laugh every time. The funniest thing was because I remember specifically it was whipping the llama's ass because I myself during the church service loaded up Winamp to play a media file uh for you know for the Whoops. church and that came on <laughs> so i remember vividly that it had that particular vulgarity in it because you know 500 people sunday morning 11 15 uh cue the media and here comes Winamp. <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> Winning, <laughs> whipping the llamas ass. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what it was. That's yeah, iTunes. Never I always that. remember that one. I love that. <laughs> that's I'm, the one Winamp, good thing I'm I can say about iTunes. They never, they never embarrass me in church. Yeah. <laughs> they never claim to whip the llamas ass Sunday morning in front of hundreds of people. But you know, you can still buy a copy because you can still download it and buy, or buy your pro version of Winamp until December 20th. So if you really want the last version of Winamp, at least, you know, from AOL, because I've read on another uh, news site that there's people talking about buying the rights to Winamp. So we may just see Winamp change hands, but if you want it as it is, sits right now, version 5.66, go get it now before December 20th. 
It, yeah, never mind. I, I'm pretty sure I still have Winamp on on at least some of my computers, but for for the last several years, VLC Media Player has been my media player choice. It's open source. It's cross platform. It plays anything you throw at it. Yeah. Um, and when Winamp can't compete with, well, why would anybody pay for a media player at all? Any media player, I don't understand. Uh, there's so many good uh, free ones out there. Um, and and you know when you when your business when you're running a business on selling a media player in 2013, you're in trouble. You know, and the other thing that I always wonder though is since Winamp is you know when, since I read this, you know, Shoutcast is a thing with Winamp. Is yes, what's Shoutcast going to do? Is that going to go belly up too now? Because Shoutcast does radio and video. Oh, there are lots but of other plugins. I mean, there are lots of people that support the Shoutcast protocol now. You don't have to have Winamp. It was just sort right. of the first that did it. But, you know, who owns Shoutcast? Is that a Winamp thing or is that, yeah, the, mm-hmm. you know, the, well, the back end servers? In case you don't know what I'm talking, uh, what we're talking about, Shoutcast server is a way to stream online. So uh, lots of radio stations still do it. I, I did it for a while. I streamed my media collection over the internet so I could, uh, plug into uh, you know a port I had open and listen to all of my stuff uh, streamed mm-hmm. like that. Um, now I do it through Google Listen, uh, so there's kind of no point anymore. Uh, but yeah, that's an interesting question because there are a lot of 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 you know real live radio stations that are streaming their stuff online using the Shoutcast protocol. I assume that it's just a, an open protocol that anybody can use. That's my assumption. Shoutcast is NullSoft's free Winamp-based distribution streaming audio system. NullSoft, yeah. Nullsoft is owned yeah. by AOL. So, yeah. right, is it free I mean. or is it Libre? There's the question. Because if they, if, if it's, it's just... It's proprietary software. Right. So it is uh, Libre, no. It's free. It's free as in beer. Right. Not speech. So if somebody decided to, to start charging for that they would have that right so if somebody mm-hmm. buys nullsoft you know that that could be a big deal of course there yeah, are they, other protocols out there from aol they right. would have to buy it from aol because aol is the parent company right god i anyway, can't believe AOL, I'm sure AOL would sell it if they thought it would make a buck we could buy it <laughs> y'all want to yeah see if we can scrape to get 10 bucks and buy it from them while we're talking about aol and speaking of companies that are on their way out uh who whoever thought aol would still be a thing a few years ago they totally transitioned into basically owning stuff that's what aol yeah. does now is they own stuff and and the ne- facebook in their most recent earnings admitted that they're going the way of irrelevance particularly among teenagers yeah, um, you know, Facebook has got like um, a lot of subscribers now that are like adult age and have money to spend, so advertising stuff, but they're losing. Um, teenagers seem to be saying goodbye to Facebook and hello to Messenger apps such as uh, WeChat, WhatsApp, and a bunch of stuff like that. So, you know, a lot of it, I'm sure, is just, ooh, our parents are on here. Let's get away and go somewhere else where they can't bug us. Um, but it seems to be that, you know, it's not so much that Facebook is losing people because other people are still joining, but the average age is trending older, has younger people. They might have an account, but they don't check it as much um, or they just deactivate it and it's uh, going down in the young people age. So future indicators are not looking good for Facebook. Well, in one of those apps that people that kids are using is, is Snapchat. Snapchat recently turned down 
a $3 billion offer from Facebook. $3 billion. They said, no, that's not enough. So, uh, yeah, well, they were smart. They yeah. were smart because I think Snapchat's going to turn into a big thing. So, Bigger thing, I should say. Yeah. So Facebook, recognizing that they're losing the teen demographic, rather than trying to innovate, just we're Facebook, we'll just go buy something that teens are using. And the Snapchat guy said, no, we're not interested. I mean, Instagram was bought for a billion. Everybody went, a billion? And now Snapchat is turning down three billion. Uh, what uh, Does money not mean anything anymore? Are they playing with Monopoly money that I don't know about? Because no kidding, billion with a B is a heck of a lot of money, and a twenty-three-year-old startup owner turned down three billion dollars. What kind of world is this? It's well, a world of principle, Mark, where guy. people do not sell out to the corporation for mere money, dude. You, it's all you about wave, the principle. You wave three billion dollars in my face, I will sell out faster than you can spell sell out. <laughs> I, I would hold for three billion in one. Three and a half. Because, you know, you Three think and about, and that's their first it. offer. So what do they think it's worth? <laughs> yeah, so they'd probably go as high as five. Yeah, so. you never swing at the first pitch, right? Isn't that, um, what was that movie with uh, Jim Belushi and the other guy? I, I don't even remember the name. But you never swing at the first pitch in marketing. So, you know, that's three. You say no. So now you're putting pressure on them to come back with something bigger. Um because, you know, Google will probably do something like they'll bid pi billion. Yeah, 3.14 uh, billion. Yeah, right. or two times pi. Yeah. yeah. And basically, in case you don't know what Snapchat is, in case you're old like I am, uh, Snapchat is uh, a picture messaging uh, thing where you can send a picture, and I think you can add a caption to it. Maybe not. Maybe just a picture to somebody else. And the picture eats itself after 30 seconds from both phones and the server. Supposedly, but it kind of yeah. stays in the phone's cache if you know how to go yeah. in and look at it. It's not really gone. It just pretends to be gone. So people are like, oh, it's a sexting app. I can send pictures of my boobs and it disappears. Well, sure, that's going on. That's going on in any app. You pick something. Kids are using it for sexting. But uh, really, the, the research shows that that's not what kids are using it for. They're, they're using it for fish face selfies. Um, I don't get why it's a big thing, but that just proves that I'm old. <laughs> it proves that we're all old, I think. And other yeah. another thing that I don't either. get while we're on the subject of things I don't get is I, I'm ashamed today, well, not just today, but in general, to be from East Texas. Because East Texas has is has become the playground of of patent trolls. Apparently the judges and juries there just love to give patent trolls money. And here they go mm. again. Well, actually, yeah, this is, um, it, it's a famous patent troll that, you know, I've, I've never heard of the guy, of course, but, and they've extorted, uh, they've used this patent to, um, this is commentary, so I'm not stating a legal opinion here, um, to basically take money from people by saying, you owe us because we have this patent that uses some of the same words and concepts that are found today that'll be X million. And we can't and tell you what that patent is because then we would be uh, telling you and that would be the same as giving away a trade secret. So just trust us, you owe us a billion dollars. Right. And Newegg says, no, we're going to take you to court. And the trial has actually started. Yes, there's one particular judge in Marshall, Texas, um, you know, made famous by that um, 
debating movie starring Denzel Washington a few years ago that I wanted to see and never did. Um, but yeah, so they're doing that. And this is apparently patent trolls love to come to this judge and this jury, um, and this district court to, um, you know, try to get things. But anyway, it's kind of a big showdown. I kind of hope I'm really pulling for new egg because if the company, if the other company, if the patent troll wins in this, I mean, it's just awful. Um, it's, uh, I don't know. But anyway, so yeah, the trial has started in East Texas. New egg is, um, they are engaging a patent troll showdown with, um, I'm looking for the TQP development, um, a company that holds a bunch of patents it has purchased and, you know, makes money off of the vigorous and legal enforcement of said patents that may or may not actually contain any relevant patentable information you know some of the names that the companies that they've won from are huge too yeah. you know variety well, they haven't won they they nobody's ever taken them to trial yeah, nobody's defended just patent. caved yeah they're, they're they're caving but you know these are you know the tqp company has won settlements you know either being settlement or you know by, by settlement or by right for you know big companies like right. verizon and sprint and State well, Farm, Aflac. That's the way you know, a are- patent troll works. A patent troll figures out what the maximum number he can get that is worth your while to oh, pay right off, but not worth your while to, to go to court. So yeah. they figure out fighting this in court would be $100 million. So we're going to say we'll take $60 million. It's a bargain. Because even if you win in court, you're going to spend $100 million fighting this. So let's say you take us to court, you win, you've, you've spent $100 million. We'll take $60 million and not go to court. And so companies like Google and, and, and Aflac and these others that you mentioned, they say, all right, fine, that's, that's petty cash, we'll write it off. But uh, yeah. you know, Google recently, I forget who it was, but another patent troll, they said, no, we're not paying, we'll see you in court. And now Newegg is doing the same thing. And that's what's going to stop this crap is when people actually take them to court. Well, a lot of that is uh, Rockstar, which is owned by Apple and Microsoft and HP and Sony. They are there's a massive suit. It's the one where Google bid, um, but the um, they didn't win the thing, and so there's a massive lawsuit brewing against Google because somebody bought up those patents and are using those patents to turn around and you know sue Google for patent infringement. All right. So, so, and because it's companies doing that, such as Apple and Microsoft, uh, I know Sony, and then there's several others. You know, I really don't mind that they have to deal with patent trolls because, <laughs> you know, they're turning around. They they're using the same behavior that they then turn around in their marketing department. Say, well, this is why we need patent reform because of you know this is why our products are so high because these um, these patent trolls are there, and so we need reform. Well, it's like, wait a minute, you are the patent troll. So, yeah. you know, go go down below and do your patent troll thing and leave us alone or whatever. So, And in our weekly pick on Ubuntu segment, actually we have a couple of them this week, what happens if you go to the Ubuntu store and search for the Bracero CD burning software? Yeah, apparently you get loads and loads and loads of bra uh, images. So, you know, did you mean brazier? And here are pictures of uh, women showcasing the braziers they're wearing. Um, 
you know, so yeah, way to go, Ubuntu. You're really on top of it. You know, it, it's not like this is some program that, you know, is used by one person. This is a fairly well-known CD burning software. Um, and so this guy, you know, he's not even, you know, he didn't even type something wrong. He's just typing out his search. And this is what shows up because of the unity integration with the Amazon, uh, cloud and pulling up results so that way they, they can kind of diversify their revenue stream. It's, it's just a funny story. You know, I mean, stuff like this is going to happen as it gets more attuned to your needs and they, they hammer out the algorithms and make it better. Um, you know, we've talked about Spiceworks before on this show, uh, and I, I remembered the name was Spice something when I was telling a boss at a place I worked a few years ago about it. And so I'm searching the web, um, and there's an adult channel called Spice. Um, so if you just search for Spice, you know, you pull up all of these X-rated links, and you're like, that's not the name of the software. I'm looking for the <laughs> software Spiceworks. Um, you know, and, and he knew what I was doing and we were talking, you know, so no, but anyway, it's just one of those things. You have to be careful when you're searching and what you're searching for because you can be doing nothing wrong. I was, I was looking for the product and I, I could remember part of the name. And so I was, you know, trying to search and was it spice this or spice that? And then, you know, one time here comes this whole page of porn, you know, sites and uh, you just got to be careful whenever you're searching for stuff. And for those of you out there taking notes, that's S P I C E. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Um, I just pictured a, a little kid, you know, listening to this while their dad listens, going, "Oh, what, what was that search again? Bra in 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 Unity? Okay, good. Um, all right, moving on. This is this is kind of uh, this has been out here a little while, but I find this interesting. Somebody asked Linus Torvalds a simple question: Did the NSA ever attempt to put a backdoor in Linux? His answer was classic. Yes, he said. Um no, while he was nodding his head up and down. So, you know, he, because, you know, it's one of those things that I think by law you can't say, uh, or there's some legal gray area at least there. So he said, he said, no, they're not. No, they have never asked me while uh, nodding his head. Um, and this was a story that was told by uh, Linus's father, um, and it has reported by Muckware. Anyway, it was just one of those things, you know, the NSA has been all over the news because their espionage got out of hand and they got caught. Um, so this is just another, it's more just a funny story about right. them. I'm sure they've, you know, I'm sure they've asked everyone and probably a lot of people have said yes, but. And it would, it would be difficult though to hide something like that. I mean, you'd have to be a really skilled coder, coder to hide it from all the eyes of the people who work on the Linux code. So I feel yeah. fairly confident that it never it never got there, but right. I also feel a hundred percent confident that they tried. I mean, if if yeah. that was my job, if my charter was find out all information that is knowable, if I were V'ger from Star Trek: The Motion Picture, um, that's one of the things I would do. I would try to put snooping code in uh, the open source Linux kernel. I would do that. Yeah. Uh, so it's not unreasonable that they ask that. It's certainly not unreasonable that uh, that they were told to go stuff it. So hopefully that's happened. But um, I feel pretty confident because the Linux kernel is is vetted pretty heavily on a regular basis that there's not going to be anything there kernel level. Yeah. I yeah. But 
you know, but just if you wanted to be a tinfoil hat kind of guy, they could produce packages under some, you know, shell corporation. And those packages could, in addition to doing their function, insert a code. And because it's not a mainstream package, you know, it, there's a chance they could get away with it that way. Right. So anyway, that's just if you wanted to be a tinfoil hat guy and if you wanted to throw conspiracy theories left and right and let them abound, you might could say something like that. And so yeah, one might ask, what is, what's the revenue point of having an open source project? Why would you do that? Why would you try to make money? We've, we've talked about this before in the terms of, of Red Hat, you know, selling support. Well, a long time ago, Microsoft got in a lot of trouble for putting a browser on their computers in their operating system. It was a big deal. And you, you might ask, why is including a browser a big deal? What, why? Well, Mozilla can tell you why, 311 million times. Yes, that's how much money they made um, for its 2012 earnings, 311 million. Um, so, you know, compare that back to 2005 when it was only 52.9 million. So they, you can see they've had steady growth. And, it's, and the thing is, they're not out to make money, but, you know, the infrastructure to support Mozilla, the distribution, the research, the development – you know, the coders have to eat, um, you know, so all of that money is churned back into making the web a better place. How so, does yeah. Mozilla make money? The single biggest way Mozilla makes money is that little Google search box at the top right corner of Firefox. Mm -hmm. They get a fraction of a penny every time you use that search. I probably result in them getting $10 a month, just me. <laughs> Because, right. you know, that's if you, you can either use the awesome bar, as they call it, the location bar or that uh, that thing. Or if you go to the, the default homepage, when you fire up Mozilla for the first time, you get a Google homepage. Any of those things is tied into a revenue feed and, and Google pays them. Again, it's a fraction of a penny every time they do it, like, you know, maybe a hundredth or even a thousandth of a penny every time somebody does that. But they have that many users uh, and they tend to have the more sophisticated users. I'm not saying anything about IE. I'm just sticking to my guns there. Mozilla tends to have the more sophisticated users, and so they're doing more searches more often. Mm -hmm. And that results in $311 million a year. You know, it'd be yeah, interesting. Yeah, and Google accounts would, for 90% of their revenue stream. Yeah. So, You know what someone needs that, to do? Just be, just to make me happy. You know, if, if anybody that listens to our show is a Mozilla uh, plug-in designer it'd be interesting to see what that percentage of you know a yearly uh, you know how many times did you search in that little box in a year just a, a, a counter app it'd be interesting to see how much somebody uses it you know like me or, or mark or seth because i don't know how much i use that little bar but i use it a lot so what would that you know what would be my share of the revenue stream you know you know obviously they can't give us the exact numbers but it'd be interesting to see if you know hey you you act with all your searching you did you know you you occurred i don't know some arbitrary percentage would be even okay of the mozilla's revenue for right. the year it'd be interesting I'm sure you could do I, a uh, a firefox plugin for that I'm sure that you can, but it'd be wouldn't it? Would it be interesting? It would be really cool to find out, you know. Hey, because of me, Mozilla got a hundred bucks in a year. Yeah, and I want I want ten percent of that back. Mozilla, give me ten bucks. 
I don't even want that. It would, <laughs> but it would be interesting on a just on a a, a usage notice because I mean, uh, at least in my house, I track my bandwidth usage every month because I, if we ever get stuck into a, a limited package, I want to know what my bandwidth usage is. And it's nothing different. I just I like seeing numbers, so I would love to know what my number is. Yeah, it would be cool. I, I would like to know that. Um, I, I don't know if say, I would Chris, want to install an app and bloat Firefox even more. But I have to say, tracking your family bandwidth usage definitely falls down the geek side of <laughs> of life. That's what do you put it down the geek hole? That's what that is. Yep, yeah, that's definitely pretty far down the geek hole. And while we're talking about millions of dollars, Google uh, admits no wrongdoing, says everything they did was above board, but we're going to give you $17 million to stop asking questions. Yes, um, they paid uh, $22 million last year to the, U, um, to the U.S. government, the federal government, and so now they have paid an additional $17 million to 37 states and the District of Columbia because... Um, iPads, iOS, they block third-party cookies by default, um, and Google decided that they would take and code a way around that in their app. And you know, while at the same time adhering to their company model, do no evil, they are tracking you whenever they promise not to by agreeing to Apple's uh, thing about no third-party cookies. So, but yeah, mm. they didn't do anything wrong, but they're just paying. And when you add those two numbers together, that's just under $40 million. I know pocket change for them. You know, right. a few more searches from me, Mark, and Chris, and we'll cover that. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah. yeah, the $40 million to Google is their hamburger budget, I think. Right. Uh, <laughs> but still, I, I love it when Means companies say, we, do not, we didn't do anything wrong. We'll admit to nothing. Everything we do is legal and above board, and we're not guilty. Here's some money. Stop bugging us. Yeah, and as a consequence, everybody that week just got cheese pizza instead of pepperoni pizza at work. <laughs> so to kind of offset some of the costs there. And Ubuntu, Canonical, they put a stick in the ground and said, put it in three-inch headlines. It will happen. Mir will come to Ubuntu 14.10. It's going to happen, Chris. And everyone will yes, run away from they it. they announced it, <laughs> and they never lie. They've never announced a target and missed it ever in the past. Never, we've never, never, never announced a target uh -huh. we've made yet, but that's not going to stop us. <laughs> so there you go, presented without editorial comment. Look for Mirror and Unity 8 in Ubuntu 14.10. Yes, yeah. or... At the very least, look for a future announcement about Ubuntu Mirror in for fourteen ten. <laughs> At the uh, very least, there will be an announcement, another announcement regarding Mirror and Unity A in Ubuntu fourteen ten. That much I can guarantee. So while we're talking dates, instead of looking to the future, Seth, let's look to the past. What happened this week in history? Yeah, since we missed last week, I wanted to give everybody a two-for-one kind of thing. November the 20th, a few days ago, is the 28th anniversary of the release of Microsoft Windows 1.0. So Windows is 28 years old. Uh, and then on uh, November the 18th, 
the first push button telephone went into service 1963 so 50 years ago hmm and I got to plug in. I just realized I never plugged in the battery, uh, never plugged my computer in. So if I don't plug it in, I'm about <laughs> You're to gonna die. Okay. So while he goes to do that, that's interesting. And I'll bet, I wonder if the first push button phone was a touch tone phone. I bet not. I bet it was using pulse dial still, but it was a push button. It would button. have to have back then. Yeah. It would the, still be using pulse. Right. Do do some, some research on this. Just if you're into this sort of thing uh, and you've got, 30 or 40 minutes to kill do some research on the button layout of the phone why the buttons are where they are it's fascinating bell labs spent a lot of time researching how they would put put the buttons on there because think about it, there wasn't anything right now we look at it and and the the phone alignment is ubiquitous we know you know that the the one, two, three, one is the top right, two is the, the or excuse me, top left, uh, two is the next one over, three is the next one over. But that's exactly backwards from like uh, calculators and number pads on your keyboard that had been around yep. that predated phones by decades. And and there's interesting research in, as to why they chose to deviate from from something that was so well known. They, they looked at, maybe we could do it in a circle, just like on a rotary phone. Put the one uh, at the the top right corner and go around, just like on the button on the phone, because that's what people are familiar with. And they did all kinds of research on that. And uh, you know, if you're into that sort of uh, technology history, research that because it's really interesting. The engineering that went into the button placement on the push button phone. And nobody has anything to say about that. Mark went off the deep end with geekiness. That's okay. No, I, that's that. It really is cool and. Uh, so yeah, but you just did such a great job of covering it, Mark. There was just nothing else to say. That's right. But um, yes, and that is the kind of geeky commentary exclusive to the Element <laughs> OP Network, life in the context of Linux, because there is a past that we all share, and information is ammunition. So the more you know, the more you know. Well, wow, that was just platitudes galore. There, it was like every cliche you could come up with. Um, and ending yeah, I was with, trying to give Chris a chance to come up yeah. with some more. Um, ending was, with the yeah, CBS was, logo with the star going across. The more you know. <laughs> Every time a bell rings, <laughs> it's wings. Wrong season. That's Christmas. Moving on. Okay, let's get on to our well, listener but, feedback. I'm hey, sorry. No, because see, that's been in the news that there's they're planning to make a sequel to it's a wonderful life and paramount is threatening to sue anyone that does because they own the rights to it so that might be next season but it's been in the news this week oh really how do you make a sequel to that movie i mean pretty well it ended george bailey's grandson is apparently having a similar struggle and uh, some of the his kid the people who were his, his kids are going to be in it reprising their roles okay so, so we're going to have a 60-year-old woman named Zuzu. It, that wasn't a, it was a creepy yep. name for a four-year-old, but now it's going to be even worse. But Zuzu was going to play the angel. Um, okay. Hmm. So I, I, I don't know how to... That may be in the bad movie forum before long. Um, <laughs> let's move on to our listener f feedback. And Todd says thanks, kind of. Uh, he says, hey, Mark, Seth, and Chris, a.k.a. GUI Command Line, and what's his name? Um, 
First, thanks for a great show. I really enjoy both the tech and your personality's interaction. I have to, I have, you have to love learning disguised as fun. Also, thank you for your coffee talk episode. I've been looking for a fun new business idea. Uh, I'm one of those people who loves the smell of coffee and hates the taste, so I could get into this. As I explore building a business around coffee extract, I'm going to buy my supplies through Amazon with your link. It seems an appropriate thank you to the Element OP for the idea. So thank you. Awesome. You're going to take my idea. You're going to make money off of it but i'm going to get one percent of your purchases thanks yeah. <laughs> well you know maybe something like free coffee if you ever visit uh his yeah. store uh maybe no i'm not bitter about that it was just it was just funny to me that hey you've given me the idea for possibly uh, a fortune but i'm gonna use your link they just seemed a, a little <laughs> Thanks for listening, Todd. Go go nuts with it. The next thing I'm experimenting with right now, and it's so early on in the process, I'm not even willing to talk about it yet because so far everything has been an epic failure. But I'm Ooh. looking at condensing this further. My, my end result, what I hope to get, is an extract so strong that it's like two or three drops to a cup of hot water makes a coffee. Whoa. So like those 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 Kool-Aid or those energy drink extracts, those things that are out available right now, I want to make a coffee mm -hmm. version of that. So uh, like you take a Keurig and you run just hot water through it, you put a few drops of my stuff in it, and you got some some of the best coffee on the planet. That's what I'm working on. Um, mm -hmm. But so far, like I said, it's been an epic failure every step of the way. Of course, the so, little bottle would cost like 100 bucks. <laughs> it's going to be expensive, uh, but it's going to be worth it. I just, what, I'm trying to think how that would work. Boil it to get the more water out of it? Yeah, well, kind of, but you can't boil it because heat yeah. is your enemy. And you can't freeze dry it because oxidation is your enemy. So you got to find a way to condense it without boiling it and without oxidizing uh, oxidizing it. So like I said, so, I, have, huh. I have some some crazy scientist stuff going on in my garage right now that I'm not willing so to you, tell anybody about. You've got to somehow um, maintain a pure and pristine environment for evaporation to take place. Okay, awesome. Uh, not necessarily, because then you run into the problem of just time, of, of it breaking down. Yeah. Uh, so there, there, there are a couple ideas I've looked at. I've looked at a, a nitrogen-based um, mm. evaporative cooling, So um, because nitrogen would both freeze it and evaporate it to sublimate it essentially um interesting but yeah. then you've okay. got there's issues that go along with that and i've looked at the possibility of super low temperature boiling boils loss is that as temperature drops the boiling uh, excuse me as pressure drops the boiling point drops so if i can if i can pull enough of a vacuum i should be able to boil it at room temperature what i don't know is if the act of boiling it will still destroy the product or if the heat is what destroys the product. So like I said, there's still things. And by the way, producing and keeping a really low vacuum is difficult to do and requires expensive equipment. And I'm trying to garage engineer the, the equivalent of that expensive equipment. And so far, miserable failures all around. But uh, I'll, I'll let sure you know. I'm sure if anyone can figure it out. I'm sure you will, Mark, because I'm sure you're you're kind of the, one of the, the bulldog type people personalities. You you're tenacious. Well, it's just it's a new challenge. I like to issue myself challenges, and it's it's no fun if it's easy. So yeah. I'm trying to. I want to produce something 
that is super high quality, still a premium product. Um, but I'm also I'm also hoping that once you condense it that much, ref- refrigeration is less important. Less important that it might oh, okay. stabilize. Um, and I'm, I've I've also considered maybe looking at hydrogenation, the way they make peanut butter shelf stable, uh, shelf stable, and and canola oil and corn oil shelf stable, because um, this is essentially coffee oil is what I'm dealing with. Uh, so right. you know anyway. There, there's all kinds of ideas. So far, nothing has worked, but that's what I'm, I'm looking at. Super condensate, uh, condensate right now. Huh. Okay, moving on to our next listener feedback. Sean steps up with a command line tip. He says, uh, "Well, yes. since the so-called command line Godfather has been phoning it in as of late, sarcastic tone implied. I thought I would throw in a command line to." step that has saved my bacon a few times using the yum package manager this is good chris i didn't know about this let's see if you did if you get a bad update which messes up your system first run yum space history space list this will give you a numerical list of past updates uh then i find a time that i knew the system was working and enter yum space history space space rollback space x x being the number uh number numerical list identifier this process has saved me a great deal of time. Since I'm not as familiar with apt or packs or zipper, I'm not sure the alternatives of have anything is useful. So this is essentially a rollback. I didn't know you could do that with Yum. Yeah, and Yum you can. Um, I the only reason I've never brought this one up is the fact that I've the last couple of times I've tried, uh, it ended up being a dramatic failure of not goodness and because then i wasn't able to re remount the uh the the hard drives because the the packages that were updated were like the decrypting packages um yeah it was a horrible failure for me but you know if they're if they're not kernel level packages you might have no problem with it i don't know if i would roll back a kernel level but yeah, I've I've seen it before. I've used it. It's just one of those things that I don't think an everyday user would probably feel safe doing. But yeah, it's a good tip. Thank you, Sean. Um, I've like I said, I didn't want to step into that quagmire quite yet. Um, I'm sure Zipper has something similar to it because it's still using um, the the RPM database. So I would guess Zipper would be able to do it too. But I don't know about app and packs. So there you go. All right. And moving right along, Derek sent this as an email and posted it in the forum. So clearly he wanted me to see this. He has a name suggestion for me from the movie Gone in 60 Seconds. Never seen this movie. Character named Memphis. Quote, I've been in L.A. for three months now. I have money. I have taste. But I'm not on anybody's A-list. And Saturday night is the loneliest night of the week for me. Roger, the car salesman, says, well, a Ferrari would certainly change that. Memphis says, perhaps, but, you know, there's this one. Yes, yes, I saw three of these parked outside the local Starbucks this morning, which tells me one thing. There's too many self-indulgent wieners in the city with too much blood money. Now, if I was, I was driving a 1967 275 GTB 4 cam, Roger, the car salesman, says, you'd be a self-indulgent wiener, sir. You'd be a, you would not be a self-indulgent wiener, sir. You'd be a connoisseur. Then he says, Mark, you also mentioned that uh, where the computer would be in 10 years, it would be a classic. You coined the phrase classic computer. Also, a classic is a reference to the DOS command line to fix a sec- uh, fix that secured machine. So with these, uh, oh, I, I referenced classic 
Okay. Uh, and they said, so with these points, I suggest a nickname for Mark, the classic computer connoisseur. Keep up the work. Yeah. Good work, Derek. That, that That's a pretty good one. Derek, that's a long way to go to get to uh, a reference. But <laughs> hey, I appreciate Securitas logic anytime I see it. So, so that would be Mark C3 Cockrell. That'd be C4, right? Because my name yeah. starts with a C. C4. Well, but C3 Cockrell. Or you just mark no, C4. No, just C4. I like that one. Because I'm explosive, yeah. baby. No, I don't know. <laughs> oh, Plastic. good Lord. The head just swelled. I could just <laughs> see it. <laughs> I'm going to drop the boom on you. Um, we'll throw that in the hopper, Derek. And we'll move right along to Jonathan, who wants a free commercial. Why not? Hey, Opie dudes, please give these guys a plug on an upcoming show. They're a great bunch of guys and really good at what they do. Thanks. It's an Indiegogo project for a, a magazine. Yes, that's the thing where they put ink on paper called the Linux Voice. So I'll put the link in the notes. Go check it out. I I have no comment other than um, Jonathan said I should give him a shout out, so I'm doing it. That's all there is to hmm. it. Interesting. I thought magazines were dead. Well, you know, so are 386s, but people got mad when they took support out of, for them out of the kernel. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you got a point there. You know, I, I could understand if it was like an e-zine, you know, like on a, the Kindle store, but good old-fashioned paper dead tree. I don't know. To we'll each see. their own, well, I guess. you know, some of us bandwidth impaired people um, just like the feel of paper um, because, you know, paper you can fold up and you can make small and you don't have to constantly recharge the paper to be able to reread it. Um, so, you know, just because paper is an old technology doesn't mean it's a dead technology, although in this case, papers are dead trees, so maybe it is a dead technology. I but hate, that doesn't mean it's obsolete. I hate the physical act of reading. I, I just don't, I don't enjoy it. I will read blogs. I'll read articles, short forms, things that don't require a lot of time. Um, I, just, I hate to read a book. Uh, um, a friend of mine gave me a book recently. And he said, you know, I know you're going to love this. Read this. And I got what, halfway through the second chapter. And I was like, I can't do this. I'm, let me go get the audio book. I can't do it. Um, and then recently somebody loaned me their, their ebook reader. So here, maybe it'll be different on ebook. No, it's exactly the same. It's my eyes reading stuff, and I don't like it. It just it doesn't work for me. I need wow. Uh, audio or video is much more appealing to me. I hate the act of reading. It makes my eyes hurt. It gives me a headache. It makes me sleepy. I just hate to do it. Well, you know, there's a lot of people that are like that. Um, I know quite a few people that are in that same particular boat. So your feelings aren't just yours mark and i can be reading I, I something like reading. really interesting the material is fascinating to me but the act of reading is a misery to me love reading and it hasn't always been that way by the way i used to be a reader just somewhere along the line that switch turned off i don't know i guess it's you you had kids and developed uh add i, so. I don't know <laughs> that could be because, uh, you know, like when I read the, the Tolkien novels before the, the movie came out, I, was, I had read them. I hadn't read them, actually, uh, previously, but I, I like to read a book before the movie comes out if I plan to see the movie. Um, and so those are, you know, those are not, not short reads, that whole Lord of the Rings trilogy. 
uh, plus the Hobbit. I read the whole thing in like a week. You know, I, I, I can read like that and I can really get engrossed in it, but it's a rare thing. Hmm. Hmm. And now that I've discovered audible.com, another company that should be giving me money. Cause I mention them all the time. Um, I'm just in love with that. I will sit and listen to a book. Um, and it's awesome. It takes longer. Hey, you, you know, since we mentioned them, maybe we should just bill them for advertising. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it works that way. It'd be fun. Why not? I mean, for patent trolls, we could be advertising trolls. <laughs> That's funny. We mentioned you. Here's our bill. Okay. Okay. Uh, moving on. Martin has more to say about coffee. You guys took, I was afraid I was going to get excoriated for bringing the coffee to a technology show, but you guys have really uh, taken, uh, taken to it, and I appreciate that. So Martin says, hey, Mark, I listened to your coffee experimentations a week ago, and I had a thought about your extraction process. What if you could bypass the whole coffee extraction process with the Buchner funnel? You could get some good results with a Bodum. I don't know what that is. Um, you, uh, and, but he puts a link to what a Bodum is, and it's basically uh, like a French press, basically. Um, and, and he says you could put the raw slurry into the Bodum, add hot, warm water, let it alone for a few minutes, then have the Bodum do its mag- magic and filter the grains to the bottom. I'm sure going to try it before the end of the month and let you know. Great podcast, by the way. I listen to technical podcasts about Linux and BSD, and Everyday Linux is sure lighter and refreshing listen every week. Martin. So it's nice to know that uh, we can be a sorbet to cleanse the palate from all those real tech pod- podcasts out there. <laughs> That's a great tagline. Everyday Linux, lighter and refreshing listening every week. <laughs> it's the, you know, when you get tired of real tech in your podcast, try Everyday Linux. Now, essentially, this is this is just a coffee press. A coffee press is uh, uh, something you put uh, coffee and grinds in, and then you press it down and let it settle, and then you pour it out. Uh, totally different process than what I do. Totally different process. Uh, this, again, uses hot water, uh, and over a short period of time, mine is cold water over a very long period of time. So I don't I just don't think it's going to be anywhere no, near what I do. Now, it's, it's very common. Uh, the Turkish uh, press or the French press is a, a very common process, but very different than what, what I do. Hmm. Uh, and then next we have a, a voicemail from Fuzzy. Sweet. Uh, Thank and, you, Fuzzy. And Fuzzy, I mentioned using a carboy uh, as something that perhaps could handle more pressure than the the five gallon bucket i was using uh and fuzzy right uh emails me voice whatever it is basically to say don't do it so here's what he has to say hey guys it's fuzzy from the foothills of colorado i just want to let you know do not ever use glass carboys for a pressurized system they will explode uh you are using a uh, about mm, i would say between 15 and 30 pounds of pressure in your vacuum system um, and remember that is uh, pounds per square inch. So while your mason jar has a very small surface area on the inside, uh, you put that out to the 14 or 16 inches of um, surface area on the inside diameter of your five-gallon bucket or your glass carboy, and your number of square inches will more than triple. Um, so the amount of force that you're currently putting on your mason jar may be okay, but when you extrapolate that out into your carboy, uh, you're going to end up with a nice little sharp bump. So um, be safe. 
find something else. Catch you later, guys. So there you go. Well, so I'm happy. We'll that, do that. We'll add that to our everyday terrorism yeah. podcast. And now report I back on the now that you've told me that, that fuzzy, I totally have to do that. Um, I'm going to do it someplace <laughs> safe, but but how could how could I not want a five gallon glass bottle to explode? I mean, now I got to do it. Uh, yeah, you know, it's like that show. Will it blend? Yes. You just, you Will know, it implode? Do it now. Yes, that's that's going to be my web series. Will it implode? If I put a shop vac on something, can I make it implode, dude? That <laughs> that's it. I just found my millionaire idea. Uh, will you know, it implode? The funny thing is, I said it was going to. I was wondering if it was going to implode last time yeah. when we talked about it. So I'm happy that I was at least right, if not for the wrong reason. Uh, I did do some research on carboys, by the way, um, and there are uh, sort of apocryphal stories of them exploding uh, during the fermentation process, but almost always when it's a bad design, like it's got a design flaw, it's cracked or broken in some way before you start. Uh, so I think I would be safe, but as it turns out, um, my problem when I went back and looked at it was just that I had a totally clogged filter, um, and once I fixed that, it went through with the bucket with no problem. So it was it was just creating way too much suction because absolutely no air was getting through. Uh, so uh-huh. that that's a non-issue, uh, but it sure does make for some great pictures of this imploded square bucket. I was just going to say, Mark, video or it, doesn't ha- or it didn't happen. So <laughs> if you're going to do it, we need video. I oh, I'm, see it I'm buying here. a carboy now. It's going to happen. I'm going to have to set it up in, you know, I'm going to have to build a bunker around it of some sort. Obviously, I want to be safe about this. I've got kids. But, dude, Fuzzy, I mean, you can't tell me that it's going to explode and expect me to not do it. Well, yeah. We, we have, we'll have to put that into a, a, one of our podcasts. We'll, we'll link a video or something of Mark exploding a carboy. That would be, that's going to be awesome. Yeah, like once a year, we'll have an open source <laughs> podcast that is not related to computers at all, and that will cover like the coffee talk type episode, and you know, open source improvise right. uh, explosive devices. Um, o s this is i d this is imp- this is implosive devices. So okay, yeah. O s yeah O s i d open source implosive devices one point oh. Okay, moving right along. Joe shares a success, success, success a story. Dowdle. Oh, did I? Oh, okay. Yeah. I uh, no no uh, Freudian activity there. No, honestly. Uh, Dowdle writes in to say that I'm wrong again, or am I? He says I only write to tell you you're wrong when you're wrong. So that's why I don't write in every show. Oh wait, you said something about it wouldn't be a show. I wasn't writing in to tell you you're wrong. So you were wrong about that. So here I am telling you that you're wrong again. Never mind. <laughs> That's Scott for you. Thanks, Scott. We love reading all your emails. Keep them coming. That one made me laugh as I read it. Because, uh, yeah, I, I proved him right by proving him wrong by being wrong. I and guess. <laughs> I think my head's going to hurt now. I am my own grandfather. Uh, So Joe (laughs) shares a success story and asks a few questions. He says, hey, EDL crew, it finally happened. After hearing about it on your podcast for a couple of dozen times, I finally installed a Boris box. 
I now have Linux running 24-7 in my home. I installed Untangle on a spare box and upgraded the firmware on my little blue plastic router to DDWRT, brave man, and converted it to a wireless access point, and it works! My young children can't access any explicit or hateful sites, by accident anyway, and the ad blocker is cutting down on some of the junk we don't want to see. As a non-IT professional and non-network savvy geek, I appreciated how easy Untangle was to install and capture. It was a breeze. DDWRT, on the other hand, was far more complicated. It was a bit overwhelming for the uninitiated, but Google forums and wikis, and I was able to figure it out. If you can't tell, I'm a little more proud of myself than I probably should be. A few things I learned after having Untangle going for a few days. Number one, only one gig of RAM is recommended as the minimum for zero to 50 users. I have a two gig in my box, and it usually shows that it's using more than one gig. The one gig minimum recommendation may not be enough for good performance. I'll address that in a minute. Number two, several forum posts mentioned that many of these firewall distributions will perform better with Intel NICs and really dog the Realtek, Atheros, and Broadcom NICs. Well, my box has an Atheros built-in NIC and a PCI Realtek NIC that costs $12. I tested the download speed at speakeasy.net. The little blue Linksys, uh, the little blue Linksys prior to flashing firmware got 16 megabits. When I switched to Untangle immediately after, it almost doubled to 29 megabits. My upload went from 1.5 megabits to 10 megabits. The Untangle box seems to have made a significant improvement in performance, even with the cheap NICs. I have a six-year-old cable modem that I assume is Doxus 2.0. Perhaps Intel NICs and the new Doxus 3.0 modem would increase this even more. But I'm pretty happy with the bump in performance on a $12 NIC. Moving on, he says, my next project will be a backup server. Newegg recently had Windows Home Server 2011 on sale for $35, and I bought a copy. Since this is a Linux show about bacon and coffee, I thought it only fitting to have (laughs) Windows 2. I've not installed it yet, but the home server seems really simple, and there are several instructional videos online for installing and configuring. The Windows Home server, Server was attractive to me because of the last several months, I've been too busy to put in the time necessary to research why I can't get Samba to work in Ubuntu or Mint. Uh, between work, sleep, and coaching kids sports, my free time is in short supply. I know, I know. Insert Linux Academy ad here. Well, now that you mention it, no. Um, <laughs> so, are there any deal breaker reasons that I shouldn't use Windows Home Server? I don't have grand plans for a server, just an, as an automated backup. I did look into backup PC, and the information I found quickly overwhelmed me. I think I'd need a lot more time to and help to feel comfortable. Is it your opinion that backup PC might be too advanced for the average user, or did I give up too easily? If a, if backup PC is still your highest recommendation backup solution, maybe the Linux Academy could do a, uh, to, could offer a training video. I'd buy that. My current backup solution is two external hard drives that I rotate, keeping one at work as an offsite. I wrote them whenever rotate them whenever I put new pictures and home videos off the cameras and put them onto the family computer. I've heard this is called a sneaker cloud. I'm looking forward to having backups done automatically by a server and handled uh, offsite by CrashPlan. <sighs> Long email. If you're looking for show topics, I'd like to know what other backup solutions are out there. I've heard about BitTorrent Sync, but I haven't looked into it. And why do I need to encrypt my backups? CrashPlan uses encryption, but why do I need or want to trans uh, want that for pictures and home videos? If my main machine gets destroyed, will the encrypted offsite backups be recoverable by the new machine without the key? The encryption seems to be adding complexity unnecessarily. Please educate me. After the backup server is done, I'll move into fixing the home theater PC. The DVR function of the Windows Media Center and Windows 7 is very compelling. 
I've used it, and it works much better than the Comcast DVR. I have both the Comcast DVR in the family room and the home theater PC in the bedroom. But Comcast just scrambled all of the basic cable channels, rendering my TV tuner card useless. Until uh, now, my home theater PC is a DVD and Netflix player. I'll eventually get a cable card tuner and be able to record HDTV on my computer again. I always have Myth TV in the back of my mind as a viable alternative and especially like the commercial skipping capability. However, I've never tried it. And now that I have used window, uh, Windows Media Center for a year and enjoy that, uh, enjoy the Netflix feature, I can't think of a good reason to switch. The Netflix feature is kind of a deal breaker for a media center. I did try Netflix and Ubuntu under Wine about a year ago when the PPA came out. It did work, but not great. Suffers from low frame, weight, frame rates and makes the video noticeably choppy. If the DRM issues are ever sorted out so that Netflix can come to Linux, I'd be very happy to try to run Mythbuntu as a media server. I'd like to hear an updated rundown of what you guys use for backups and media centers. Also, it's not too much to ask. Could Chris go back to pronouncing Ubuntu as Ubuntu? Now, you know, for fun. <laughs> hmm. I don't know. I was getting pretty pretty well berated every week yes. by going Ubuntu. Ubuntu. So I don't know if I can go back to Ubuntu from Ubuntu or Ubuntu or whatever. <laughs> All right. So let's go back and dissect this a little bit. This is a long email, um, but good stuff. But a there. good one. So that's why I chose not yeah. to edit it down. First off, DDWRT is not for beginners. If you mastered that, kudos to you. Um, yeah, congratulations. Nice work. If you can do that, you should be able to do backup PC without any problems. Seriously. Because you already know your way around uh, Ubuntu, as it sounds like, Ubuntu. Um, and uh, it, so I, I think you just got scared off a little too easier. So now let's address the uh, one gig of RAM issue. Linux is super aggressive about using RAM, and with good reason. Yep. Empty RAM is useless RAM. You want as much as possible in RAM because RAM is several orders of magnitude faster than accessing from the hard drive. So unlike other systems that, that like to keep memory free, Linux likes to keep memory full but ready to dump if it needs it. It marks the space. Yep. I forget the technical term, but it marks the space as in use but, uh, but low priority. Freeable. What's that? Yeah. It's freeable. Freeable, right. So um, the fact that your uh, machine has two gigs of RAM and it's using more than one gig just is it's just the Linux kernel doing what the Linux kernel does. It's taking everything available and sticking it in RAM. It's not necessarily using all of that. It's just having it available. So that freaks out people often when they move from Windows to Linux. And they say, it's, it's, I don't have any free RAM. Yes, that's the point. You don't want free RAM. You didn't pay for RAM to sit around and do nothing. Uh, yep. So don't ever get scared about that. In fact, the fact that it's not using the full two gigs means that you literally don't have enough work for the machine to do. Because it's it's taking all of its tasks, everything it can stuff in RAM and putting it there, and you still have RAM left over. So you are way overkilling it, which is not a bad yeah. thing. No, it's not. And for an example, just as a comparison, um, I pulled up my PF Sense box, which is similar to Untangled, um, but I have a I don't have as many widgets running that your untangled box does even your free one um but i have a two gig stick in there and i'm only using 36 percent, so i'm not even using a full gig so i'm still getting caching and i'm still getting content filtering out but i'm still not even using a full two gigs either so that's yeah don't don't be afraid of the ram issue you're fine now as for the speed tests 
I don't think you're actually getting the speeds that you're saying. That is probably Untangle being aggressive with the caching and, and speed tests are easy to fake. Um, and Untangle, it, it's, I'm not saying it's being disingenuous. It's optimizing your connection as much as possible. So it's making it appear faster than it really is. That's what I suspect. But yeah, especially uh, that big of a change. Right. Um, uh, in terms of one Nick over another, yes, the Atheros and Broadcom are more difficult to get running in the PCI Realtex, but if they work, you're fine. And so Untangle has, they've taken the effort on them to make sure that pretty much any Nick works. So yeah. I wouldn't worry about it. It's just, if you've got a Broadcom modem, particularly if you've got a Broadcom wireless card, it can be really difficult to get it going. But once it's going, it's fine. It's just a matter of finding. Sometimes you got to go compile your own drivers and stuff. But you you got a, situ- a system. You know, again, uh, Untangle is a commercial commercializable product. They 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 want it to work. Uh, they want it to be turnkey. So they've done a lot of that work for you. But having you know, said the that, thing- there will be specific models they say to avoid. Um, I, I remember when I was looking at it, I had to uh, I had to look and see because I had to hunt around for. A computer with a nick that would do it just because by random the first one i picked is like we're not compatible with this nick and i was like oh okay so they will they'll tell you pretty much up front or you'll find it very easily in the forums if there is a specific model that they don't work with and i was going to say you know with those numbers you gave us on your speed test um it could be that maybe you know, since you don't state what you're paying for, maybe you are supposed to get 30 meg down, 10 meg up, but your little blue box was never giving you that. That's a possibility yeah. too. Because those things have so, like 486 processor in them, and they're oh, way yeah, underpowered. They're, yeah, they're they're junk. But you know, maybe you could write back and tell us what you're supposed to be getting. Because if you're supposed to be getting 30 down, 10 up. That's pretty much where you should be. Right. So you were you were never getting what you were paying for for however long you were using that little blue box. Okay. Now um, on to backup. Uh, backup PC is my favorite backup tool. Period. End of sentence. Um, it is an example of an open source product doing it better than most of the commercial products. Uh, it's awesome. Is it for home use? Not really. It's not what it's designed for. Um, it's overly complex for home use. I think something like Crash, I don't use it. And again, it's my favorite thing in the world, but in my home, I don't use it. Uh, something like Crash Plan or you know other things that you've mentioned are fine for home use. In terms of encryption, that's just the tinfoil hat people. If you never put anything on your machine that you don't want other people to see, don't worry about it. But if in your picture folder, if picture folders is a subfolder called special pictures of mommy and daddy, um, then, you know, you might want that one encrypted. Um, yeah. so, you know, it's just, it's, it's better to encrypt and, and than not, you know, for the most part, yes, it adds a level of complexity in terms of getting it back. Well, if you're using something like crash plan, you're going to be able to get the key from them or they'll, they'll let you rebuild the key in some ways. I mean, they have bare metal restore processes, so you're yep. not going to have to have the key. There will be a method for you to either verify or regenerate uh, a key. So yeah. I, I don't know crash plan specifically, but there's going to be something. Well, the other thing I was going to ask, you know, most of the time cr- when they say encryption crash plan, that's encryption from tr- for transmission, not for storage. So if you're 
a tinfoil visor like Seth, you might want to do an encrypted volume using something like TrueCrypt because then you'll be able to get your key back even if the machine blows up because it's based off of a keyword that, you know, your password that you can rebuild the key from. So if you have things that you want to encrypt just those, you know, those special pictures or your social security or your, your tax information, make a TrueCrypt volume for crash plan to back up because then you get your crash plan ability to back up your stuff and you have your personal financial documents or special things taken care of as well. As Steve Gibson yeah, puts it, it Pi, pre-internet encryption. If it's going to go on the internet, yep. encrypt it first. That's, that's the way he says to do it. Yeah, that way you are in charge of your encryption and you have your key stored somewhere where you can mm -hmm. find it and you're not at the mercy of a other service or other entity to be able to decrypt it for you at a future date. Which is what CrashPlan or any of those other companies are going to be able to do. If they get subpoenaed, say CrashPlan, let's say you're Internet Bad Guy 101 and you're backing up your evil dominating of the world plans to crash plan or carbonite or any of those other companies if they get subpoenaed they have the keys to open those to to yep. unlock your data for the subpoena um and that's part of the terms of service you're agreeing to but if you encrypt it locally before crash plan takes it or carbonite takes it to their cloud then they can't they can unlock their layer but they can't unlock your layer very good as for I the windows home server this is the, the, you're not going to get this advice on any other real Linux show like they were talking about earlier. If you like it, use it. I don't care. Go right ahead. Yeah, I've never used it, but people I've worked with in the past have, and they've really liked how easy it is to set up and use. So, you know, if you're familiar with Windows and that's what you work in, I mean, there's nothing wrong with using it. Um, you know, again, I mean, we like to bash them because that's part of our shtick. But, you know, they they aren't a multi-billion dollar corporation producing nothing but junk. Um, yeah, the only thing I would say, though, you know, yeah, you already purchased the license. So I would at least try it and see if it's something that's worthwhile for you. Something else that you might want to look at instead of using um, the Windows Home, the, the Home Windows Server thing to do your backups is if it doesn't work. You know, drop some money on a good home NAS, like a Drobo or something similar, because then you could just use the Windows backup utilities that are built into Windows 7 and 8 and just have a file on the NAS to do the backup too. Um, in recent versions of Windows, the backup utility built in isn't bad. It's just convoluted. So, or you could just do it the old school way and just drag your, uh, you know, copy your stuff over to the NAS. And then you would have your copy on your computer, a copy on the NAS, and then you'd have your copy in CrashPlan. So you'd be able, I mean, you would have it in three places. Um, that's all that is really required for most, most people's backups. As for the home theater thing, um, Netflix is a big deal. Tuner cards, I mean, companies are trying. To, there was a law passed. Uh, I don't know if it was a law or a an injunction. It was, there was some legal thing that happened in the U S a while back that says that cable companies can encrypt anything they want, but they have to let you have the decryptor, the cable card as it is at no cost. If you ask for it, 
So you can get your tuner you can, that accepts a cable card. You can go like that. But but cable companies don't like you to do that, and their employees often don't even know that. I have done that. I've gone to a cable employee and said, I need a cable card. And they'll say, no, we don't give those out. Yes, you do. The FCC requires it. No, I'm sorry. We don't do that. Can I talk to a supervisor, please? So they're they're actively against that. I don't know why, frankly. Um, they're... I don't because they want to sell you their the box. Yeah. DVR service. That's the thing. And if if you are doing it yourself, then you're using your own DVR service, and that's not an add-on for them. So you're cutting into their revenue stream. Mark, what's the matter with you? Do you hate capitalism? Um, you know, it's yes. for the children. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And as far as the Netflix things go, you know, that's always going to be a hiccup with with Linux until they figure out a way for Linux to be able to touch the DRM issue. Amazon's having the same problem. Um, they just recently updated the Amazon player. So Linux people can't play some of the Amazon or most of the Amazon movies now. Yeah, it's all um, about DRM. Yeah. It's all about the DRM. Now I, I would, I'm curious to find out what something like the Roku box is running and how they get away with the DRM. Well, they paid the because, fee. They have a, they have a hardware encoder chip. They paid the license. That's how they can do. Is it. that what that is? Yeah. Okay. I, I would, but I, but the it's still running a, a. Is it still running a Linux base? I don't know. I don't I've honestly never, don't. Know. I've never looked. I've I've never looked to see what the base is for that those little boxes. Because if they're running a Linux base, then it it would be possible. But the question is, who's going to foot the bill? Yeah. All right, Joe. You're you're rapidly approaching co-host status, so we're going to move on to a next email, Matt. Complains that our Linux Academy ads aren't good enough. Well, <gasps> let's hear what Matt has to say. Hey, guys, I've been listening to the show since the beginning of the summer, and I really enjoy the content you provide. During the summer months, I work at a natural attraction called the Ossible Chasm, two-mile-long canyon with hiking trails. This provides me a chance to listen to all of your shows. I'm also a professional musician and music educator and consider Linux more of a hobby than anything else. I wanted to take a, a second to talk about you, talk to you about the Linux Academy. In August, I decided to give the Linux Academy a try with a 14-day trial. I quickly learned that the service they provide is of the highest quality. I love being, being able to learn at my own pace and the fact that I can download the course notes and watch anything over and over again. I decided to extend my membership for three months. Now that I've been using it a while, what I really want to stress is the support that Anthony and the other staff, especially Terry, give to us. Anytime I've asked a question, the response has been amazing. I can tell that they really care about the product and the content they're creating. If I don't receive an answer right away, I usually have a response within a couple of hours. More often than not, my answer is almost immediate. They're just great. Another item that I'd love to add is that Linux Academy members are often encouraged to shout out ideas that might make the site even more impressive. Anthony is always looking for new things to add. I've asked him a couple of times for something new, and within a week or two, there are videos that I asked about. After three months, I've decided to continue my membership again. I can't say enough good things about the Linux Academy. Lastly, I wouldn't have heard about the Linux Academy without you guys at EDL. Great show. Very entertaining. All the best, Matt. So I don't need to do a Linux Academy ad. Matt just did it. Uh, the only yeah. thing he didn't tell you is it's 19 bucks a month or buy two months and get one free, $38 a quarter. 
14-day trial for a buck if you want to do what, what Matt did and and poke around. And like Matt, you will like it. But let me tell you some new stuff. Anthony just today uh, told me about a completely new, um, completely rebuilt control panel. And all the courses and syllabus are laid out in an easy uh, in, in intuitive navigation. Um, you can take personal notes on each lesson now right there in the site. And it's saved for you. And, and you can even download them when you're done. They have certifications of completions now. So when you've done a course, you get a certificate for it uh, and the module that's attached to it. And over the next two weeks, they're going to be adding several practice exams for Linux and AWS and uh, Amazon Web Services certifications. So these are just the things that they're just rolling out right now. I logged in today to the new control panel, and it's it's amazing. Um, you click on it, and it tells you everything you know about the course. Up on the right-hand corner, there is a, a, a required readings that tell you what you need to do before you take this course. There's a time there. So each, it's there's a listing of all the videos that are um, compiled in this course, and then each of those has, you know, this is a 40-minute, this is a 17-minute, this is a 3-minute, and then there's a total time. So you can look up there and say that this is going to take 17 hours and 41 minutes of my time. Then there's a section for lab assignments. So you can look at it and say, these are the lab assignments I have to do to complete this. It's amazing what they've done. It's simple. It's easy to read. It's intuitive. And you can say, all right, I want to do the intro to Linux module. I'm going to click on that. Bam. There's everything I need to know. I can pick and choose. I can say, all right, I'm going to start with lesson number 17 just because that's the way I roll. I'm not going to start there. And then I'm going to jump to lesson number 31, and it keeps track of all that for you. Or you can say just right from the beginning, bam, 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 all the way through. You, you fire up the uh, the lab that they give you. You get your servers. You get your choice. It's a push button. It's click. It's easy. You want to set up a CentOS server, you click the drop-down box that says CentOS, bam, you got a server. You're there. You're ready to roll. Uh, you get uh, unlimited uh, lab time on the servers. Plus, you can have uh, up to 10 hours per course of, of time. So you can run an app and host it and have it running and play with it for up to 10 hours a week uh, for your course. If you want more than that, they'll even sell you server time. They'll host your app for you if you want. Uh, all options right there at linuxacademy.com. The guys... As Matt said, Anthony and his team are amazing. They're real-world professionals who really know what they're doing. Go check them out. Use the the referral code EverydayLinux to let them know how you found out about us, and uh, we'll thank you for it. Yeah, we can't go much more than that. Um, the one thing I always liked about their service is the fact that they tell you the command line way of doing it. At Indeed. least for me, that is the most, um, I wouldn't say the best way, but it's usually the most opportune way of doing it. Um, it. It's most of the time the fastest way. So if you need to do something quick and with a little bit of speed, you know, one, two, three, you type the command and away you go. Um, but not only that, Chris, they have the a GUI. module called the oh. Learning Linux from the Command Line. There's a whole module about yeah. it. It's awesome. And, yeah, and if you're interviewing for a job and you say Linux, they're not going to ask you you know, how do you in Unity go and configure this? <laughs> they want to know the command line way of doing it because, well, one, nobody really knows Linux. And so their little thing tells them the answer is, you know, whatever the command line is. So it, learning the command line is the secret to the high paying Linux jobs. And the Linux Academy is a great place to go from the GUI kid to the command line godfather in training. <laughs> all right we got to move through these guys we have more listener feedback and we're already into epic show status so i'm going to move right along from uh now to kevin who has a phone carrier suggestion 
basically another guy who wants to give a free shout out to a company, but that's okay. He says, good morning. I was listening to a couple episodes back. Yeah, I'm a bit behind. EDL 119, perhaps, where you mentioned the possibility of leaving your provider, AT&T Wireless, for T-Mobile. Not sure if you've pulled the trigger on that yet, but I wanted to mention another option to you, Ting. There are no contract provider bolted onto the Sprint network who allow you to pay for only the service used. Uh, now, the only downside from a tech aspect is you need a Sprint-enabled phone, which is why I assume you wish to migrate from one GSM provider to the only other major one in the U.S. That's exactly right. But I felt like mentioning, mentioning them anyway. Even if you don't go with them, they have a reputation for sponsoring Linux podcast, i.e. Linux Action Show in Seattle, another one of my weekly staples. So I figured I'd throw the info your way. Keep up the good work uh, you guys do. You are now, strangely, my top pick podcast because you have the right mix of non-Linux with Linux news that both humanizes your show and makes the very diversified bacon, coffee, martial arts, etc. Uh, your show is about uh, <laughs> three guys with uh, uh, with everyday lives and multi multifaceted interests who also happen to use linux that's what makes y'all great keep it up thanks for the kind words kevin and ting is cool uh sprint is not big in the atlanta area i mean it is but it's not in my particular area um plus i don't have a sprint phone but yeah ting is a neat idea you there are no contracts there's no plans you just say i'm gonna buy a uh, hundred minutes and two gigs of data um no that's actually not even the way it works you say I'm going to buy Ting service. At the end of the month, they say, you used 100 minutes and 2 gigs of data. Here's how much you owe us. That, that's how it works. There's not a plan. There's not a 100-minute plan. There's a, I talked on the phone this month. So it's, you're not paying ahead of time. Most phone companies, you pay ahead of time. You pay f at the first of the month for that full month. Ting, that's not how it works. You pay at the end of the month for what you used. There's no rollover because you're not buying anything ahead of time. They just say, this is what you used. Here's what you owe us. There's no, there's no crap. There's no uh, rollover minutes. There's no unused. There's nothing. You just you use your phone, and then you pay them for what you used. Go check them out. Ting, T-I-N-G dot com. That's cool. A free ad. Unless you live where I am. <laughs> yeah. Ting, there's no crap. Yeah. See, we're good at generating taglines, let me tell you. And, uh, and Nathan has a, an idea. Um, about no wait maybe that's coming later darn it would have been a good uh transition but anyway uh nathan has a question about multi-use pcs it says hello mark the middle nameless one and then he pull puts a link to a web archive uh, a web comic he says i hope you get a giggle out of that one if you get addicted and start reading the archive i take no responsibility for any podcast delay or divorce settlements that follow Moving on, I'd like oh, to Sluggy Freelance. Oh my gosh, the legacy of the Aldenta use uh they tied in with this. Sorry. Okay. Um, I wondered where it was. I had um I kind of got interested in wanting to research it based on a um a trilogy of books I read. So anyway, sorry for the interruption. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, I'm gonna have to bookmark this. And it'll be in the show notes if you don't know what, what we're talking about. Sluggy.com. Uh, and he says, I'd like to take some time off of work, about two weeks, and spend it with one of your sponsors getting an education. Some things to note. I'd be using the best machine I have since all the others are junk. The best machine I have is my personal desktop. My personal desktop rig is also my gaming rig. And if I'm at my gaming rig for any length of time, I'll probably end up gaming. 
my ability to game is totally removed, uninstall all games and gaming OSs, I'll get twitchy and replace them in a very short order. Reinstalling my ability to game will take more time away from learning. This is a self-aware man. I propose installing an OS that allows me to play, give it a separate home partition to store data on, but then I would like to convert that install into a live DVD. All third-party drivers, updates, and yes, Java installs contained on the disk. That way, I know I can fire up some gaming. All I have to do is restart with a DVD in, like trying uh, tying the hand instead of cutting it off. Uh, do you know of a way to do this? This live distro would have to include any hardware-specific and proprietary drivers, uh, but I but we'll have to know how to reach for one partition out of many to use as home. Uh, I may also may be I also I may be well broken in a Linux user, but building any kind of custom distro is something I haven't ever even touched yet. Any of your thoughts on this would be great. I speak for all Element OP faithful when I say please keep on keeping on. Later's. Uh, Chris, I think this is right up your alley because doesn't Fedora have a built-in burner? Uh, yeah, there is an there is one. But honestly, what I would on what I would tell him to do is virtualize. You know, I mean, yeah, that that sounds like a good way of doing it. But then you'd be learning it in you'd be in a ver in a, running off of a DVD and or even a USB. And you don't want to game in that really environment. Yeah. yeah. Well, not just that, but then, but. You wouldn't be able to game off that. Yeah, you wouldn't be able to game off the DVD at all. But if you kept your ver your system the way it is, installed VirtualBox, or if you wanted to, you know, maybe put the the whole "I paid for this, so now I'm going to use it" type thing, you know, virtual, you know, your VMware workstation, um, and virtualize your 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 education environment a little bit, you'd be able to do everything you're you're asking about. And still be able to do gaming when you want to. You just full screen your learning app when you're your learning virtualized system when you're learning. And then when you're done learning, you can shut it down. It'll automatically close, and then you'll be back at your gaming rig, and you could fire up your gaming session and spend more time sitting in the uncomfortable chair with lights shining in your eyes, <laughs> like I do yeah, all the time. One. One thing, as you set up the VM, that's actually going to teach you as well. Uh, virtualization is really big in the IT environment, if that's what you're wanting to go into. Um, another option you can do, which is something I do when I play around with test OSs, I just get a different hard drive, um, you know, and I swap out a hard drive. Yeah. Uh, if you build your own gaming rigs and you're probably used to doing that anyway, just have another hard drive and just connect it whenever you want to do that. Disconnect the other one, and you've got your OS. But I really think Chris's idea is probably the best. You set up a VM, and you know that's going to teach you virtualization. Whichever one you use, there are certain virtualization lessons that are platform independent, and then that will be your pre-learning environment to get you in the mood to learn more Linux stuff. Um, and I don't remember, but I think there's uh, some things on virtualization in the Linux Academy. It's been a while since I've looked for that. But that's probably the best way to go, because if you're running a if you're running a gaming rig, you have the RAM to support virtualization, and these days that's one of the limiting factors in how many VMs you can have running. But if you have a gaming rig, you could set up a whole network in there. You could have a server OS, and you could have a client OS to access that and learn the remote learn remote things on your own network as well. So there yeah, you there's, go. There's lots of the GUI kid and the command line godfather are in harmony 
on the solution. Yes. Virtualization is um, the way to go. Yeah, and I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a mixed person here when it comes to virtualizing. If you want to be serious, and I mean, you're you're going to dump your life into learning this stuff, basically. I would almost pay for the VMware um, because VirtualBox does things in VirtualBox stuff, you know, in their 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 magic sauce that doesn't quite always play well when you start trying to transition to other virtualizing systems. So I would almost even pay for virtual for, for VM Workstation. Um, I'm this close of doing it myself uh, and actually moving away from open or from VirtualBox completely. Um, and that's mainly because my environment is VMware. So that might be a little bit to look at too. Um, what's the environment you're going to learn? Where, where are you aiming to go to work at? You know, because you saying you're going to go, you want to learn some stuff. You're going to, you know, take some time off from work. What, where, where are you planning on going? Is it a virtualizing server farm that uses VMware software? Is it a, um, you know, and Seth's idea with a separate hard drive might be well a good idea if they're a if the your final location is using something like um, KVM virtualizing off the Linux because uh, off the Linux kernel because then you're going to need a separate machine. You know, I wouldn't wipe your your gaming rig away to to learn, but if you need to learn KVM virtualizing by having a separate hard drive, you'd be able to install CentOS or Fedora and learn the KVM virtualizing as well as installing Linux. And since you say you're a gamer, you built your rig, you're, you'd be comfortable swapping hard drives. So I would look at it that way too. Um, but, you know, virtual, uh, what is it, VMware Workstation is, what, 100 bucks, 150 So that's why I almost would say maybe veer towards VMware so that way you have a little more sting in your wallet which will force you to learn a little bit more versus a free option which you can go oh well maybe I'll play that later and go play Call of Duty or whatever the current game that you're addicted to. Alright, so there you go. A couple of options, neither of which are the one you asked about. Uh, so we all agree <laughs> live environment not optimal for gaming, not optimal for learning either. So that's not the way to do it. Um, well, and you'd be and you'd be able to blow away any broken in, installs without hurting anything in a virtual machine. Yep, me personally, because so, yeah, with the, with the VM, you can just take a snapshot and roll back to that snapshot, and it's super easy. Me personally, because uh, performance is going to be important, I just go with a hard drive swap. Hard drives are cheap. You can pick one up for you know eighty bucks. Yeah. Um, have one with your games on it, one with your learning on it. Swap them out as you need it. That's what I'd go for. But if he's going to go that route, he'd, if he's going to stay in the Windows environment, he's going to have to have a separate license because they're two different instances. Well, but he wanted even Linux on the same machine. He wanted Linux on one and Windows on the other. Maybe I don't know. Right? Yeah. It, well, he really didn't go into that much detail about which way he wants to go. But I would say virtualize it at least to start. And then if it turns out that virtualizing doesn't do what you want it to do, you're not out too much if you go virtual box because it's free. So, you know, right back. Yeah, the player is free as well. Right. So, Okay. I think we've beat that horse until it is mincemeat. Uh, Nathan has another question. 
this time about Android tablets, because why not? We talk about bacon and tablets and everything else. It says, hey guys, I was considering getting an unlocked 2013 LTE Nexus 7. It seems to be able to do 90% of anything I'd want out of a mobile computing device and 100% of what I'd want out of a smartphone. I can get a SIM card from my prepaid service or I can activate it on T-Mobile. The question is this, using a Bluetooth headset, can I make real calls? It has a cellular antenna, it has a SIM card. Can it connect to a tower and place a call or send text messages? Not Skype or another internet-based service, though those are fine, but an app that just replaces the but an app that just places a call. It makes sense that this should be possible, uh, which is why I fear it isn't. Things that make too much sense tend to die on the drawing table. Thanks for any light you can shed on this. Please keep doing what you do. Ever since I was able to plug in a radio at work, podcasts like yours have made the hours fly by and my sanity stay put. Cheers, Nathan. So here's the thing. No, you can't do that. Yep. All right. Here's why you can't do that. Telephone companies don't want you to. You're right. Your Nexus 7 tablet can totally do everything you want to do, except get a phone number. No telephone company will give you a phone number for that tablet. Uh, if you're using, uh, you mentioned T-Mobile there, um, that's a GSM system. Uh, so if you're looking at a GSM, you have to have a, an EMA, IMEI number. It's a, basically a hardware identifier. And they're going to look at that and they're going to say, oh, that's not on our list. Sorry, no. Not for any technical reason, just because they want you to have a phone. That's all there is to it. Now, there's lots of apps that will do that. There are uh, free services where... Google Voice, for example, you can make a phone call over your data connection uh, using Google Voice. Uh, you can do Skype. There's all, all sorts of options like that. But in terms of a, a plain old, real, genuine phone number, can't happen. Sorry. What about like Google Voice, Mark? Could you do that? Uh, just, were you napping a minute ago when I said Google Voice? I did not hear the word Google Voice. Because when you were talking, I fixated. I'm going to ask him about Google Voice when it's over. <laughs> um, so I, I didn't hear anything you said after that. Sorry. Um, I'm I'm uh, actually Google Voice, no. Because Google Voice is still bound to telephone calls. But Google Hangouts, now using the integration of Google Voice, you can actually make a phone call from a Google Hangout to a telephone yep. line. And that'll do, work I fine. do that all the time. I do that all the time with yeah. my neck, with my, well, with the Amazon, the Kindle Fire, I was doing it. And now that I have my my Nexus 7, I'm doing the same thing. But it's still using an internet uh, voice over IP protocol, not a traditional telephone. Um, that SIM card that you'd be adding in or attaching to the, the cellular built-in SIM card is for data. It's right. a data card only. So what so. you'd have to do is get a Google Voice or some similar account to get your phone number. Forward that to your Google Hangouts uh, address so that when somebody calls your Google Voice phone number, it rings your Google Hangout. You answer it there. When you make a call out, um, you would have to route it through the Google Voice phone number, which I'm pretty sure you can do. I haven't experimented with it, but I'm pretty sure you can do that so that yes. it looks like it's coming from the same phone number. So nobody will know you're not using a telephone including the phone companies who don't want you to do that. See, and I do it also through Skype. Um, I pay for the Skype in and out. So right. I have a Skype phone number that I, you know, it's a yearly surcharge, but for me to be able to make any phone calls through my Skype account, it works great for me. Um, so I have two numbers that call my tablet, my Google, my, my Google voice number and my Skype number. And both of them work almost flawlessly with a Bluetooth headset. 
as long as I have good Wi-Fi signal. Awesome. All right, and we have one more. This was the one I was looking for earlier in misplaced. Mike has another name suggestion for me. He says, given the content of an average EDL show, I reckon Mark should be called the randomizer. Uh, just think what an episode of EDL would be without Mark. Gooey news and command line tips? Where's the bacon and coffee content? I did consider pseudo-random topic generator, but figured the podcast is already long enough. Actually, pseudo-random topic generator is awesome. I would totally go with that. Mark, the pseudo-random topic generator cockerel. I like it. <laughs> that one fits that's, that, too. Yeah, that's, that might, we might be on to something there. <laughs> S-R- P T G. It'd be P R T G. Pseudo starts yeah. with a P. P R. Mm. Yeah. So okay. Okay. I'm, we'll have to. That 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 might make it to the second level. <laughs> <laughs> Pseudo random awesome. topic generator. Because we know there is no true randomness in a deterministic environment, so it can only be pseudo random. Um. And that's it, guys. That's not even all. I mean, I have more f- feedback, but we're we're over two hours as it is, and I got to stop somewhere. So uh, next week, we're going to talk about probably OpenSUSE, because the newest 13.1 came out, kind of. Yep. Yeah, it's so, out. It's out. It's running. Yeah. It's on the test laptop right now. It's uh, my, my initial reports are pretty ragged, but we'll see what, what Chris has to say about it. Um, and so that's probably what we're going to talk about next week if we decide to come back next week. Uh, Chris doesn't have a uh, command line tip because we had a good one earlier, and so there you go. And Seth, yeah, what do you got for us this week? What is your random, and yours is truly random, uh, link of the week? Yes, no pseudo-random topic generator on Seth's link. I break it to the bank um so for people who are developing the open source mindset and you know you don't want to support the man with the holidays here is a list of the top 20 open source gifts for the holidays um everything from a 3d printer to a game console to um all kinds of stuff um anyway just take a look there support open source as well as the holidays you know do most of your holiday shopping through uh elementop.com slash amazon but you know take a look here maybe get one or two things off of this awesome list of open source holiday goodness html5 belt buckle learn to solder simon says kit yeah i like the wearable tech I like the blade you know, or key. a Spotify music streaming subscription. That is something that people might actually like. Um, I don't know. An Arduino board, an Arduino starter yeah. kit, Make Magazine. Make Magazine is awesome, by the way. If you're into making at all, Make Magazine needs to be on your list. So yeah, yeah that's no cool. Kidding. Open source uh, gift ideas, timely and provocative. Seth, thank you very much. I like the three D printer. The 3D printer. I would like that. Yeah. That would be fun. I don't know what I would 3D print, um, but, you know, got to come up with something. I'm sure I don't want to know what I would print. (laughs) Just knowing me, I think I would probably end up doing stuff that I would probably end up doing like novelty dog poop. You know, that's that's what I would 3D print. Stuff like that. Or, or, you know, uh, you could 3D print stuff to see if it would implode. Right. There you go. I I would do like you know those those toys with the with the pins you push your face in it and it makes it, I would do that oh, yeah. and then 3D print it something something like that 
Oh, uh, <laughs> it'd be kind of cool. Or maybe, I guess. maybe, maybe you could do a, a bottle that has the honeycomb shapes on the inside, so it can handle the pressure. Yeah. Of course, three D yeah. printers generally will make something about a quarter inch by an inch. Well, come so on, I'd have to put a lot of a lot of hot glue <laughs> to put all those <laughs> together. Uh, it'd be fun though. I I could think of all sorts of things that'd be fun to print. Yeah. All right, but if would you, that implode? <laughs> will it implode.com quick go register that um if you want to be on the show on our next listener feedback show or, or just on our everyday show where we like to do listener feedback the way you can feedback to us is to put a microphone in front of a speaker that will create no um go to elementop.com click on the contact us link at the top of the page or do what fuzzy did use the uh the the google voice hotline 559 imop from anywhere in the north american landmass, or you can go to our website use the give leave us a voicemail widget and google voice will call you all you got to do is enter your phone number name is optional um and uh google voice will call you and you can leave a voicemail also if you just want to send me uh an audio file That'll be fine too. Just keep it, keep it brief. Uh, also, as Seth mentioned earlier, uh, we would appreciate if you're doing any online shopping uh, through Amazon. Use there our slash amazon link. You notice nothing, literally nothing, except maybe a pound sign in your your URL. But we make a few bucks off of it, and we appreciate that. Um, that's it. That's all I got to say. Thanks, guys, for for giving me so much feedback that we did a whole two hour show on it and still have feedback left over. Uh, we're, our audience is not the biggest on the web by far, but we certainly have one of the most passionate audience. And I thank you for that. And you know what? You can help us grow that. Tell everybody you know about us. So the geeks who like geeky stuff, let them know. The the non-geeks who just think they, they might enjoy the pseudo-random topic generator and the gooey kid and the command line godfather <laughs> doing their thing, uh, let them know about it. Um, you know, we're out there. We're on YouTube's. Uh, we're on iTunes. We're on uh, Stitcher. We're everywhere you can find a podcast. We're out there. Of course, the good old-fashioned RSS link. Spread the word, honestly. And if you happen to be a guy with a Windows box or maybe a Windows home server laying around, uh, throw iTunes on that thing and go give us a rate and review we would certainly appreciate it by the way we have almost all five-star reviews thanks for that guys that's awesome um uh the more the more we can get the better it just helps drive traffic our way and the goal here is to have more people uh part of our community so go do it pseudo go ye therefore into all the world and make disciples of the opi um <laughs> Oh, let's end the show with blasphemy. Uh, So Chris, Seth, as always, thanks for being the great hosts that you are. Listener out there, those you who stuck with us all the way to the beginning, uh, thanks for listening. And uh, we will see you next week, maybe. (laughs) For now, that ends this episode of Everyday Likes. Bye.